All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat. Probably shouldn't say this week since we just took a two-week break, but we are back, we're here, uh, and we thank you for putting up with us during our little vacation, I guess you would say. Not really vacation because we're still writing and covering the team. You're about to fly to Denver, so not a, a true vacation, but a podcast vacation. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. The uh, I don't know if there's been too many times this year where we've done a podcast where we can go in saying, yeah, the Sixers are playing pretty good, and uh, this is definitely one of them. Which is amazing. I, I looked this up recently, and I think they are 70 and 22 since the since Christmas of last year, which Brett Brown has referenced a number of times. They actually now, since he started referencing that, do not have the best record uh, in the NBA. Or no, I'm sorry, 70 and 29 since Christmas of last year, which is the second best record in the NBA. Uh, I think it's like two wins behind the Raptors over that stretch. So it's probably fair to say that they have been playing well before this podcast. But I think it's also fair to say that this is the time when you have the most confidence in the team. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about how they hadn't beaten anyone. I think at one point this season they were 4-8 and eight against teams with a 500 or better record. That has turned around drastically since. I think now they are 10-11. and 11, So they have gone 6-2 and two against teams with a 500 or better, or 6-3 and three against teams with a 500 or better record in that stretch. You've got, you know... Dominating wins over the Timberwolves and the Pacers. I think the Wolves are, are just slightly below 500, so they don't fall into that bracket. But good win over the Timberwolves. Great win over the Pacers. Competitive game against the Thunder, which they probably should have stolen a win if not for Paul George's last-second four-point play. And then a dominating win against the injury-depleted Houston Rockets with the most unstoppable force in recent memory. And a win against the San Antonio Spurs, in which they finished the game on a 10-0 run and overcame an eight-point deficit with two minutes to go. The type of a win that, if Brett Brown had lost an eight-point lead in the final two minutes, <laughs> there would be calls for his head instead of his Greg Popovich, the greatest coach of all time, according to Brett Brown, um, who, who Popovich disagreed with. Kiss-ass. Um, he called him a kiss-ass, said he's so full of shit, and that's why they got rid of him, and, and, and a great... Pop, Popovichian quote, but the Sixers are on the good side of a collapse. And stealing a game they probably shouldn't have won, or at least were in a bad position to. And the outlook on this team now, winning five of six against that aforementioned competition, certainly changes drastically. We were, uh, I don't think we picked this up live watching the game. Popovich is really unbelievable how at ease he is, I would say. I mean, he's yeah. still intense and he's still talk, uh, you know, stalking the sidelines and yelling at his guys for making mistakes. But after uh, after the Sixers got that last uh, last stop and uh, and Corey Corey Brewer the ball, you know, you know, there was one point one seconds left and he was trying to dribble it out and he got fouled. Uh, we we didn't pick up on this. He went over and playfully shoved Brett Brown with 1.1 seconds left. The game was not even close to over. I mean, you have Corey Brewer shooting at the line, <laughs> right. and there's Popovich joking with Brown and Embiid, like knowing. Meanwhile, full you well, and I are sitting there, like, oh my god, you went from Ben Simmons handling the ball to Corey Brewer handling the ball. Like, you can't find JJ Redick in this situation. Meanwhile, Popovich is like, yeah, hey, hey, Brett. Nice one. <laughs> and 
yeah, his quotes before the game were uh, were fantastic. I love how he said he didn't watch film. I love that. I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration. He but... says that every time. And every time he says, you guys don't believe me, but it's true. And his basic premise is that his execution isn't perfect, so he is not going to worry too much about what the other team does until he can get his team executing at a high level. And in the regular season, I think there's probably some truth to that. Not no film. That's a an exaggeration. But I think he's focused on his team probably until you have to get up into playoff matchups. But. He just wanted to call the whole game boring, too, <laughs> right. I, I think, which is... Uh... I, and going back to your point about the, you know, Greg Popovich's calmness, you know, he's been through this so many times where he knows that a mid-January game, late January, I guess now, is not the end of the world. They're going to find their way in the playoffs, and there is a bigger picture at play here. Yep, and it was uh, it, it was certainly a good win. I mean, we were laughing. It, it wasn't – I wouldn't say it was the most intense game for three and a half quarters, but the, the offense just came so easy to both teams. Yep. And the Spurs, who are, are not the uh, the team they used to be with – all this ball movement and three point shooting. They're just now they're they're a pretty static team who doesn't shoot many threes, but man, they make a lot of them. And they, they just executed great the entire night. But luckily for the Sixers, Ben Simmons was again excellent. Uh he should be an all star starter, by the way, I think. Uh if not, it's not a big deal. He will he will absolutely be in the all star game. He was great. And Bede, who I think we should talk about in a little bit, uh, he kind of had a tough physical game, but he, of course, he guts out 33 points and 19 rebounds, I think. And then, and then, yeah, Landry Shamit and JJ Redick make, make the big shots at the end of the game. But yeah, that's a nice win for the Sixers. It, uh, it certainly, I think, made up for the Oklahoma City game, another kind of toss up in which they, uh, they got their urgency together, uh, towards the end. And it it also was a good win. I mean, two and zero without Jimmy Butler, while he uh, he has this mild wrist injury, as they describe it. Uh, he was in a brace last night, but it's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's certainly been a stretch of good basketball. You know, we've talked a lot about this this tough twelve game stretch, and you know, to go three and one with two blowout wins that's a that's a quality start for the Sixers. Yeah, that it is. And you mentioned the last two without Jimmy Butler. And that is, I mean, that's uh, those were two games where you would have counted on Butler to defend James Harden, where you would have counted on him to defend DeMar DeRozan and to make do without him. I mean, the Sixers didn't win that game last night on the backs of their defense, but to come out of those two games with, uh, with, with two wins, it has been, you know, we talked a lot about this upcoming stretch of basketball. I don't think we were wrong to do so. Like, Brett Brown talked about it a lot. Joel Embiid talked about it. A lot. Everybody was super focused on this stretch. And it comes at a perfect time because you have to decide what you need on the trade market in, in, in preparation for February 7th trade deadline, which is now only two weeks away. So to start off with, like you said, a 3-1 and record, one shot away from being 4-0 and against the competition they did. It has been, and I mean, look, most of those three of the four games have been at the Wells Fargo Center, where this is a completely different team. So you take that into account. But they're playing their best basketball of the season. And it is, you know, you're starting, like you said, with Ben Simmons. I mean, look at the numbers this dude's putting up. They're, they're not hardy in numbers, but they're, they're, they're good numbers. 19 points, 
10.2 rebounds, 9.5 assists, shooting 59% from the floor. He's scoring those 19 points a game on 12.5 field goal attempts, which sometimes isn't a stat that Ben is great at because he doesn't shoot threes and his free throw shooting comes and goes. But he's playing incredible basketball. He's playing very good defense. He's finding his spots in the offense a lot better now. The offense is, is running at a higher level. I think they're up to like sixth or so in the NBA since the Jimmy Butler trade. And top 10 in both, I think. Are they top 10 in both? I haven't well, checked that recently. I'm not sure if it's post-Butler, but they are top 10 in both for the entire year. There you go. That is, uh, that, that is good. And I think everyone still sort of has the question about whether or not good, deep defensive teams like Boston, like Toronto, can make the most out of Ben's lack of shooting. That's still it's going to be a question until he proves it's not. And some of these teams, I mean, Indiana's a really good defense. And Simmons didn't have his greatest game there, but he has had good, I think his previous two games against the Pacers, he was, he was pretty good in. Um, but, you know, Houston's not a great defensive team. The Spurs are not a great defensive team. But he is consistently, night in and night out, playing very, very good basketball. And it's why you, when those fit concerns prop up, you take a step back and go, okay, look, it, it's not perfect. It can get clunky. They can get in each other's way sometimes. But these are two incredible young players. Give them time to figure it out. That's also why acquiring Butler back in November makes more sense because you get more time to evaluate and grow and also evaluate in the locker room. So it is – I said at the beginning of this trip when they beat the Pacers, just calm down. Don't react to a single game. Don't live and die in the roller coaster of this trip because there, it will be a roller coaster. There will be down periods. Well, you're a third of the way through now, and there hasn't really been a down period, and they deserve a lot of credit for that. Yeah, and, and back to the the All Star stuff with, with Ben. You know, I've just kind of looked at the the other names who have been thrown out as a starter for the East backcourt. By the way, the West backcourt a lot better. I, so I, I don't want to say, you know, this is um, this means he's a top ten player in the league or something like that. But uh, you know, I, I do think he's. You know, if we were doing this on merit and who's affected winning the most, I, I do think Ben deserves to play. I mean, he's got the combination. His advanced stats are better than pretty much all of those guys. We know that. I mean, he's a great rebounder and passer. That's kind of to be expected. Efficient, more efficient score. Better defensive player than pretty much all of those guys. Uh, you know, and, uh, and that's not at, a minor gap either. That's a huge gap. That's a big gap. And then, you know, if you want to, you know, I, I think this was used as a knock against him last year. If you want to look at uh, the team success, Sixers are 33 and 17. Yeah, 30. that's right. At this point last year, they were like a 500 club, weren't they? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think, and I actually made that argument as part of the reason why it, I do think Ben should have made it last year over, you know, when you got down to Goran Dragic and people like that. Yes. But uh, <laughs> I did kind of understand a little bit of the hesitancy to, to put him on last year. There's uh, there's no doubt this season. One thing uh, I wanted to ask you, because it, it seems like it's something we're, we're dealing with every night. What, uh, what do you make of Embiid and this back injury? I, or not not back injury, consistent back tightness. Because yeah. so so basically we go there every night and he's questionable. And but nobody know, believes he's questionable. We've had yeah. Rich and I sit there watching him going through his pregame warm up every time. We're like, we should probably tweet out that there's no chance he's sitting in this game. And we back off of it for the one percent chance that he does sit and we look like fools. 
But every day we come there, it says he's questionable. We go, yeah, but he's not sitting out a national TV game against the Houston Rockets. It's a field thing watching those workouts, too, because I have never seen somebody goof around more before <laughs> yeah. a game. And you know what, man? Like, I, I know some people will be like, why, why, is, why isn't he working harder on his game? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I'm, if, if anybody can get down there and watch his workouts before a game, I would highly recommend it. Like, he shoots 15 left-handed threes in a row. And, <laughs> and just is laughing, yeah. drawing crazy fouls, shooting floaters that might hit the scoreboard. Uh, I saw yeah, on, and I, on Reddit, somebody took a video of him. You know, before every game, he pretty much plays two-on-two against three of the Sixers coaches, and he teams up with Chris Babcock most of the time. And somebody posted a, a video of this on Reddit of him being animated with Babcock. And they thought it was like he actually presented it as like legitimate discord, like Joel Embiid is fighting with his coaches. No. And it's like, no, that's Joel Embiid before the game playing a two-on-two game of basketball where he's overly animated and trying to you know, call bullshit fouls in a meaningless two-on-two scrimmage. Um, but that is, that is the way Joel Embiid prepares for a game. So, so what do you think about this? Because every night he's questionable. It seems like every night it, – it's weird. I thought his back looked better or he moved better against Houston, and then last night looked like more of the same. Um, it, it looks like he starts slower in these games and gets stronger as the game goes on. Uh, it's not great, though, right, the, that he's – every night he's talking about dealing with this uh, tightness in his back. Are you asking me whether a, a seven foot two, 280-plus-pound big man with a history of stress fractures in his back – or not a history of, but ha- who has a stress fracture in his back in his past is complaining about back tightness and whether that concerns me? What would you I mean, do? I, think, <laughs> I, I know it concerns you, but I, and here's the thing: we no idea if there's any correlation between those two. No idea if there's any significance in this back tightness. Like it could just be something, and it probably is. Like they're treating it as something that you just kind of play through, and it comes and goes. And, and this, there's nothing structurally wrong, and it's just something that he's going to have to manage for right now. That's certainly how they're treating it. So I'm I'm not gonna. I don't want to draw any um, line between his previous back problems and that. It's more my panicking because this is your franchise. This is the most important person, not just player, in your franchise, uh, and you're overly cautious about that. What do you do? I, I, um, I mean, I'd love to see him get a night off. Uh, maybe that's the Lakers, you know, during that, that road trip. You get him off. They play the Nuggets Saturday. Um and then they play the Warriors on Thursday. If you can sit him between Saturday and Thursday, maybe that can help him recoup a little bit. Or you just look at it and you've got the All-Star break. You've got the Knicks on the 13th right before the All-Star break after this just brutal 12-game schedule. And also that will be the third game in four nights. Maybe sit him against the Knicks, give him a solid you know nine days off during the All-Star break, and come back against the Heat on the 21st and maybe see if that can you know, cover some of that ground. You've got, you, basically, you've got a, a built-in rest period. And by the way, I'd love to see him not play in the All-Star game. He won't. And that's not exactly the most high-intensity uh, period of basketball that he's going to play in, so it's probably not too big of a deal. But I'd love to see him get as much rest in that time period as possible. Because I don't, I don't think, like, he's not, he's not sitting against the Warriors. Like, I don't, I don't see that happening. I don't see him sitting against the, the Raptors who kick his ass every time and he's probably pissed off about that. I don't. I, I just don't see it. Unless something happens, I don't see him sitting out those games. 
I don't see him sitting out any night, though, man. No. These games are all – like, I, I think he's at the point where he would agree, like, a few weeks ago to sit out against the Hawks. I think he's okay with that. He's getting better with that. The problem is there's no Hawks on the schedule until the All-Star break, until the Knicks game. Uh, and it's like, I, will he sit out in L.A., a national TV game, maybe against no, LeBron he if he comes back? No. No chance. No shot. Uh, will he sit out against against Denver if uh, if Jokic doesn't get suspended for that game, which I don't think he will? Uh, at, at least hopefully not. I'd like to see those two. No, I think. I don't know. It's uh it's kind of – you don't want to be negative because he's playing great, as always, and the Sixers are playing great with him. But, uh, yeah, it's just it's just this kind of little black cloud that's uh, that's hovering over every game uh, that, that he's pretty he's pretty much questionable. And, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if it's something that a little bit of rest would do wonders for. If, if that's the case, then I think I'd be uh, – I'd be beating the drum harder for him to to sit out, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know, it, it's just not great every night when your your seven foot two franchise center is talking about yeah, man, my back was bothering me again tonight after the game. Uh, no, and he he doesn't even really mince words about it. Like he's pretty open that like yeah, it's tough. Um, not ideal. I agree. Meanwhile, he's he's averaging thirty points, oh, he's playing, thirteen he's rebounds, yeah. three and a half assists over his last. Uh, ten games. So he's getting through. Um, and that's he's what, averaging and pretty that's much those, a point a minute. That's what those slow starts too. I mean, he's he's playing great in the second half of these yeah. games too. Which is a, a complete role reversal from what we complained about earlier when he'd come out and average twenty points a game in the first half, and then only average <laughs> ten and five in the second half. Um, no, he's he, he he's been uh, he's been incredible. Uh, so Corey Brewer, huh? Oh, he is my favorite player. I we were just cracking up. The Houston game was just a, a delight. When when he face guarded James Harden on the floor <laughs> as the ball as the ball was being advanced fifty feet behind him. I, I mean I, the reaction it's like in, in like wrestling, the pop that got from the crowd was just it was unbelievable. Uh and, I and then mean, he drew like a, I think he drew an offensive foul on Harden, on a push off on a similar thing after the inbounds, like a couple minutes later. And then you add in the Embiid block, and that that place just went in an uproar. That was one of the most most energy I've seen in that arena in quite some time. And he really was a catalyst for it. He does this thing too. He he, he drew the foul against Harden on Monday. But there was also, I believe, a play last night where he drew a foul against DeRozan in the backcourt. It, I think my favorite thing is when Brewer draws kind of a bullshit offensive foul when he's just being pesky in, in the backcourt, and he pumps his fist in a way, you know, just like, yeah, I did that. Uh, it's awesome. I mean, watching him just run, you know, he has the nickname, and you know, I, I write it on Twitter, you know, in my pieces at The Athletic uh, – Whenever I can, you know, the, the drunken dribbler might be my favorite nickname ever. He looks like he looks like he's drunk at all times when he's uh, when he's running. And I mean, he did, he's done, you know, for a guy who they picked up off the scrap heap. Basically, he has done an excellent job 
filling in for Butler these last two nights. He has provided energy. And I, I, I think Brett mentions this a lot. It's kind of amazing how good a shape he's in for a guy who was just signed to a 10-day. It's not like he was playing in the G League. It's not like he was playing uh, you know, in Europe somewhere. He's playing superheroes with his kids, he said. Right. He... Uh, He's been great, and I, I mean, it's funny because every time Brett had mentioned him before, the first thing they brought up is, I mean, we signed him first and foremost because he's a great guy in the locker room. And good I, people. I, I don't, yeah, good people. That's <laughs> yeah, a Brett thing. I don't have any feel for that. It seems like he's a great guy. It seems like his smile is just infectious. Uh, but for him to actually add some uh, some on-court value – we uh we were laughing pretty good last night when he got the ball at the end of the game. We were like, "There's no way he's making both of these for him <laughs> for him to go one of two in that situation." Actually, it was well, pretty good. Well, not only that, but you've got a guy called the drunken dribbler trying to beat a press. It was a yeah, little, yeah. little hectic. He there. easily yeah. could have dribbled the ball off his foot there. That would. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, but yeah, he's just he's just fun to watch. I mean, he he just plays his butt off and uh, like, look, I uh. I have not been a fan of his game in the past. Like, I, he's not a very good shooter. I think defensively, he uh, he's not always great at uh, at following the scheme. Let's just say, gets a little lost. Don't uh, don't confuse activity for achievement. I uh, I do think though that he was a, a solid pickup for these guys, and it, it'll be interesting to see what they do with his contract. I would almost guarantee he gets a second ten day contract, but. You know, if, if Butler continues to be out and and Brewer, you know, they keep winning with Brewer and he, uh, you know, he continues to make strides in the locker room. I know they they always talk about how how willing he was to talk to uh, to the younger guys. Like he's not afraid to go over and tell Embiid what he thinks in a, I think in a more positive way than than when we framed it with uh, with Butler, just encouragement and maybe just giving him some tips. So yeah, I, I would I would assume they will keep him. But uh, r- regardless, this uh, this these first eight days of Corey Brewer, I mean, they've been a delight. Yeah, yeah, they. I mean, they they really have. And look, on the one hand, it's great they have him now. I think, barring you know, basically, I think they should forget the ten day, give him a minimum contract for the rest of the season, a prorated minimum. Agree. And if you have to get a new roster spot. So be it. Like, nobody's going to lose any sleep. There's a reason he is not available for so long. And, I mean, you don't have to look too much farther than his nickname is the Drunken Dribbler, and he shoots 28% from three to realize his limitations. But he's clearly added a dynamic the team didn't have. It's a little frustrating that they went this long. You know, Corey Brewer has been available since mid-November when the Sixers had that open roster spot. They could have used his length and just activity level in a couple, couple of these games. But it's good that they have him now. It's an option. I don't think it's sustainable to play him 30 minutes a night and have this kind of impact on a game. But he he clearly brings something the team was missing. Yeah. And going back to your John Wooden quote, don't mistake activity for achievement. And you pointed this out at the game last night. Boy, was there no better representation of that when Patty Mills and TJ McConnell were going after each other. Like you said, full court press that's just going to get a blow by every time. It was it was the whole whole game defensively was don't mistake activity for achievement. A good time for Brett. You know, I think he brought that out against the Rockets where they didn't want to over rotate to try to stop Harden. 
And it was a good time to bring it up because it became very relevant against the Spurs as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's been he's been great. And uh, what uh, you think we're going to see Butler pretty soon here? You know, that's a great question. We were out, we were sitting there in the hallway outside of the uh, Spurs locker room, and you saw Jimmy Butler walk by, and he. You know, look over and I say, hey, is that something on, on Butler's wrist? Like, is that a cast or a brace? And we walked by and he had it on him and he, he pled the fifth on exactly what it was. But then you see him at the training table and, you know, he's twisting his wrist and extending his fingers and, and you can see they're trying to see where that discomfort is. Brett Brown makes it seem like he it's nothing serious, like he's it, like it's a short-term thing, like like he is day-to-day. And he probably is. But it's... uh. I think risk can be something that can occasionally be tricky and you hope this isn't the case. Yeah. I mean, it's also his right wrist too, which is not great for a right-handed basketball player. Yeah. And uh, even with him out of the lineup, there are still, there are still whispers from national people about his situation. I mean, whispers. I mean, <laughs> I mean people are, are going out and kind of saying, I mean, I think, I haven't listened to it yet, but apparently Zach Lowe and Jackie McMullen were were pretty adamant that I believe, things. things I believe are not the great. word, the phrase they used was "he's on thin ice" uh, with the organization, which you know I know all fans want to believe everything is is good and that all reporters are just out to cause controversy and be evil. But where, um, where they're would, two where pretty get, well connected. Where would you get that what from that? this week? That that idea. Uh, Oh, <laughs> uh, no comment on that one. Um, but that is the general opinion of fans who don't want to hear what you have to say. And look, sometimes it's right. Sometimes there there is, I, I mean, I stake my career on the fact that there's something other than the click, um, I don't want to call it clickbait, but the incent- to incentivize clicks that there was a different way. And that's why I went the Patreon route, and that's why I believe in what The Athletic is doing. Um, but there's also a lot of really incredible reporters who stake their reputation on being right, and it's sort of the job of the readers and listeners to s- separate who is who. And there are some credible people who are raising concerns. So we will, we'll see, we'll see. I like the samurai headband in the Oklahoma City game. It was, it was a good, it was certainly a good look. I liked it. Yeah, that was. I mean, it, it feels like so long ago because we had, you know, the. Brewer pissing off Harden, and then last night's crazy game. That was another crazy ass game. Uh, yeah, Brett going with the press at the end of the game. It's too bad. It's a shame that didn't Great work uh, yeah. because they yeah. didn't. Uh, they did not defend the Paul George play uh, well. And then, you, and then you had Embiid trolling Westbrook. Not only after that game, but also after the Houston game, there was like a little dig at him. How? Uh, how great was Embiid last night when the the rat ran over uh, the room <laughs> on the roof? It was. Uh, I mean, I assume that's what it was. It sounded like it, but uh, uh, something small running across the roof right above us. I'm not sure. There's that many options outside of that. Um, anyway, if if you haven't seen Embiid's reaction to that, he was answering a question and he completely stopped what he was doing. <laughs> he looked legitimately scared too. Like that's a seven foot two human being going like. Holy crap! That's a rat. It was. It, it could. It could have been a, a really entertaining. Maybe not for the rat, but it could have been a really interesting post-game press conference if that had 
come out a little bit differently. But yes, he was. Go watch the video. I think Dave Uram posted it on Twitter. Go check it out. So what else we got? Trade deadline. Zaire's back, kind of. Zaire and Justin Patton are in Delaware. Um, Patton is cleared for a little bit more. I think it was phrased as um, limited and controlled contact in practices, whereas Zaire Smith will take part in non-contact portions of blue coat practices. I don't think either of them are necessarily like close. I don't think a return is imminent, but it's progress, which is good. Um, we've got the trade deadline coming up. I guess real quick outside of Brewer, one of the big changes in the rotation has been Bolden. And he's been playing a lot more, well, just a lot more, but also he's been playing more as a five, as the only big on the court, without Embiid, without Muscala, without Johnson. You know, how do you think he has, has looked, I guess? Yeah, they basically swapped him and Muscala. Muscala kind of becomes that backup four who comes in with Embiid the second time when uh, when Embiid comes back, and Bolden plays more five. I, uh... I mean, I, I I wish I did a little more prep for this. But I don't have like the numbers in, in front of me, but I like how he's looked. He uh, he's obviously a way better rim protector than Muscala is. I mean, I don't think that's you know that's shocking to anybody. I think the the worry is when you play Jonah at backup five, that first group, you know, when it's like six or seven minutes in the game. You have Bolden, Simmons, and TJ all on the floor at the same time. And yeah. we saw that against Oklahoma City. That that group can really have trouble scoring. But, I, you know, I don't know. Bolden seems like he's been making a few more threes lately. That's good. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I like it. I mean, he's. it seems like he's he's pretty decent, you know, at, at both positions. It's. I think it's fair to say it's pretty easy to play four for the Sixers, especially when you have Embiid next to you. Like, I, unless you're just not an NBA basketball player, I don't think you're going you're gonna to find a lot of trouble when you play next to Embiid. But, yeah, I mean, his activity level is excellent every night. It seems like he's <laughs> he's not fouling 800 times anymore. He, uh, I mean, he had that great sequence now. He might have fouled Aldridge on one of these two, but it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't exactly called. Uh, and... Uh, you know, he, he had two blocks, and then, and then he, he runs down four for the dunk. I I like what we've seen. And four blocks against Houston, too. Yeah. He gets so many. Three on Harden. He gets so many on-ball blocks, too. Yeah, he had a couple against Harden that were just – it was impressive. He just kept uh, kept moving backwards, and then at the last second, he, uh, he threw up his hands trying to not not foul Harden. The, uh, yeah, I, I like what we've seen from Bolden recently. I, again, I mean, I think my concerns for him – in a playoff series, are almost all at the offensive end. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that tweak has, has worked, get, get Muscala shooting next to, to Embiid. I mean, we were laughing the other day. I think against Oklahoma City, Muscala was like a plus 17. He didn't even play well. Like, he was yeah. like one of six. He, he, he made two shots. He was like yeah. two of six and three. Um, so, yeah, I, I do like that switch. Uh, we, we will see, you know, if he if it continues to work. But, uh but, yeah, TJ, so, the, the spacing is a little tough with that first unit. The number's not great. And I didn't – like you said, I sprung this on you. I was surprised when I looked at the numbers. They're giving up – in lineups where um, Bolden is on the court without Embiid 
Muscala or, um, or, or Amir Johnson, they're giving up 118 points per 100 possession. Not great, Bob. Which is hashtag not great. Muscala. Now, yeah. now I think that is noisy. I think part of the problem is that they give up a lot of defensive rebounds or offensive rebounds. I mean, I think uh, they have like a 70% defensive rebounding rate, which is really bad. And I think that might track a little bit with what I see out of Bolden. You know, I think he is aggressive in his rotations, not to the point of Rashawn Holmes where he's completely out of position, but he is aggressive as a, a weak side shot blocker. And as a rotator, he is willing to go out there and, you know, play the pick and roll a little bit more aggressively. And I think that opens up some rebounding opportunities. I think part of that bad number is the lineups he's on the floor with. You know, when you're on there without Embiid, a lot of times you're on there with a lot of the backups. And it's no secret that the Sixers don't have a whole lot of depth um, in terms of perimeter defense. And I think part of that is just noise. We're, We're talking about, I think, maybe 150 possessions. So it was not the largest sample size. That is to me, you know, Brett Brown has mentioned that he thinks Jonah is more of a four than a five. And Brett, one of my critiques of Brett is that he has a little more of an old school look on bigs. You know, he goes point guard, wings, big men. And he, I think he mentioned that last night. You can see in his rotations that he likes a stretch four more than he likes, you know, like a Wilson Chandler type at a four. And I that's probably where I disagree with him the most, at least in terms of his lineups and rotations. So I think he looks at Bolden as if we can improve his shot, he can become a four. I look at him if he can get, you know, maybe a little bit stronger and improve his defensive awareness, he can be a real X factor in terms of switching on the perimeter, making rotations, and being a presence at the rim defensively. Then Spike will love this. You can put shooters around him, and his diving to the rim can at least be beneficial offensively. So I think long-term he's best as a kind of havoc defensive five. And that might not be now. I'm not sure his awareness, his recognition. I think his instincts are already far better than, say, Rashawn Holmes. But I'm not sure you want to rely on a rookie at the five spot defensively in the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see what they do, who they target in the trade deadline, how much they really trust what Jonah Bolden is doing. But I do think that is his future, and I do think he is showing pretty consistently some signs, which is good to see. And like you said, it helps. At one point, I think he was shooting 18% from three. He's made a bunch in the last four or five games or so, and that certainly does help as well. That moment in last night's game, the uh, the minute 30 in the fourth quarter when there was no Simmons or Embiid on the floor, and I think for some of that there was yeah. no Redick either, that felt like an hour 30. Uh, with those guys. I don't know what. Brett And Brett was like, I hate doing it. It was only for a minute 20, but it was long enough for you guys to ask that question. Yeah, I don't know what and, he was uh, doing with his rotation. The I think he started Simmons in the fourth quarter, which is different than usual. And I, I get it. Like, look, Butler's not playing, so that kind of throws things out of whack. But, like, yeah, try not to do that again. Yes. <laughs> especially not in the fourth quarter. That was that would have been maybe the story of the game if they don't come back there in the final two minutes. So um, Brett so Brett gets unlucky that his his great trap uh gets swept under the rug because of Paul George's shot. And then he gets lucky that his substitution patterns get swept under the rug because the Sixers close on a ten nothing run. 
and and by the way, Ben did come out and he looked more energized in the final few minutes of the game, and and that that played out played out well. Um, you just would have hoped to find a different way to have that outcome, but they won. Um, all right, so thoughts on the trade deadline. So to me, I, I don't know. I I think their biggest question they have to ask themselves, and we've we've talked about this before. Uh, I think first off, they need to hopefully have a good understanding of what they want to do with Butler. But to me, it boils down to like, is there a chance that what you, you know, whatever you give up in terms of assets this year would be better, you'd be better off doing that than going into the summer with a blank slate and a huge free agent market, but with teams all across the league having money. By the way, there is now a Sixers roof rat Twitter account. Is there? Because of course. Yep. I'm sure that'll that'll get a lot of followers. Uh the uh yeah, but I think, you know, are you willing to take on more long term money now and maybe be a team that's say over the cap this summer to try and, you know, add depth around Embiid and Simmons, maybe Butler, uh as well. Or, or are you willing to to go into the summer with you know thirty million dollars of cap space if Fultz isn't there? I mean, if Butler isn't back, what are we talking about? Fifty million of cap space. Fifty with Fultz, sixty without. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, but it's a, it's a lot. It's also a little in terms of what you have on your team outside of Embiid and Simmons. Uh, it's almost nothing, in fact. Um, and I think that's kind of the the philosophical decision the Sixers are going to have to make. Uh, you, you know, I, I do think there are people that can help them. I was talking with a writer last night um, who was pretty adamant that they should should go after Memphis and not not Mike Conley, but guys like uh, Justin Holiday and and Jamish. Is it Jay Michael? How do you say that name? Green. Sure, that sounds right. It's spelled J A Y Michael, so I'd say J Michael. Okay, J Michael Green. Yeah, sure. And like Garrett Temple and people like that kind of, you know, two through four wing shooters who uh, who would slot in nicely around Simmons and Embiid. And I, you know, I I didn't really put too much thought into it, but I thought, all right, that's that's an interesting thought. Uh, but again, like we we've talked about this, it's it's hard to uh, to find players with one year left on their deal uh, and get the salary to match up with. Uh, with the Sixers, unless you want to, unless you want to part ways with Fultz or or Chandler, but that's not improving your depth either. So that, that's kind of where I think they're at. Yeah, Garrett Temple's a a good name to throw out there on the final year of a. Uh, I think he's owed eight million dollars this year, so he's he's to me would be interesting. He certainly certainly will help your shooting. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head, and I I wrote about this today, so. I, it's not up yet. So I didn't see it yet, so we didn't. It was not up, certainly, when we started recording this podcast. It was going through a final vetting process. Not a vetting process. It was being turned into English because I'm not really a writer. Um, but it is, do the Sixers really think they can contend? And are they confident that this is the core to contend with? Because there will be moves. You know, I think the Hawks are the easiest place to turn to. You know, you could take on Dwayne Dedman and... Um, Kent Bazemore's contract and Bazemore's owed like twenty million dollars 
because he was signed during that silly season in 2016. But he's got one year left at $20 million. If you keep Bazemore and you keep Butler, you're basically out of free agency next summer. So do you look at, the, at, at this roster, this team, and say, look, with those two, we feel confident in making a run to the NBA Finals? Because that's really what you have to, you know, we talk a lot about the lack, the dwindling options the Sixers have in getting, you know, high-level, con- long-term contributors on this roster. And it's true. Like, they do not have the assets to trade that they once did. And a lot of people are uneasy relying on free agency to add those pieces because of what happened last year. I would say that's probably the wrong way to look at it. I would say most great teams made a significant signing in free agency. It was after they got their core in place. But at most you, know, you have to get lucky at some point. You have to get somebody who's willing to call your city home, usually to build out the end of that you know, core of a championship team. And I think this is free agency is their last real chance to do that under their own terms. You know, you could start talking about trades, but that gets difficult. They they have expired a lot of their trade assets. So it doesn't even have to be like a Clay Thompson type. It could be a Malcolm Brogdon and or even a Tobias Harris who's, you know, really good. But you could there are options out there beyond the top of the top of the top. This isn't going into with a LeBron or Paul George or bust mentality. It's not going in there with a Clay Thompson or Kawhi Leonard or bus mentality. But giving up the ability to go out there and try to add another piece like that, you have to be real confident that who you're grabbing now is going to get you to where you, you need to go. And that is why, you know, should they do that? I don't know. I don't, it's, I understand, you know, we talk a lot about the Sixers window. And on the one hand, you've got Joel Embiid, 24. Ben Simmons, what, like 22, I think. And that window's open for a long time. And that's true. But you acquire Jimmy Butler, and that changes the window, which to a degree is true. But you also have J.J. Redick, who's 34 and extremely important to this team. So important. My God. (laughs) Extremely limiting on defense. But, I mean, his his offense, the problem with the Sixers' defense isn't J.J. Redick. It's that they have other guys who are less consistent and less important, who have the same limitations as J.J. Redick. What he brings to your offense is, it's it's really hard to quantify. It's really hard to talk. It sounds like hyperbole when we say it, but it's true. He is incredibly important. Like it, He makes every group of players function better. So you have to replace that at some point. And it's not just replacing him with Kent Bazemore. So how do you do that? I don't I don't know. But giving away that kind of flexibility... It's good that you make this decision after this tough stretch of games. And it's good that you make this decision after you get a couple more weeks with Jimmy Butler in, in your locker room. Because I think the most likely scenario is they keep Butler. They play out the rest of the season. They make moves along the margins for, um, you know, maybe a Garrett Temple type, maybe something of that ilk. Maybe you play the buyout market. You see if Robin Lopez becomes available. You see if, um, you know, any number of wings becomes available. Like you said, Justin Holiday, even Tr- Trevor Ariza, now that both of those teams are pretty much out of it, which is why you don't always jump the trade market, but they did. See which one of those become available and make those kind of, you know, minor moves to improve your depth. Because I think you still, it's not that you don't want to go in this year, but I think you have to preserve a little bit of flexibility unless you're truly confident that, A, this is the core with Butler and B, you have a realistic shot 
of making the finals and playing and being very competitive in it. I don't know. It's, it's going to be, I mean, what's going to make these next few weeks fascinating is it can really go in a number of different ways. They could, if the wrong person just can't stand Jimmy Butler anymore, I mean, it's clear who we're talking about, most important person in the franchise, they could move on from Jimmy Butler. I don't think it's likely. I don't think anybody wants that to happen. I think everyone's going to try to make this work. I think everyone has their minds still open. But there, it's a non-zero percent chance. Um, or they could go nope. nine and three in this twelve-game stretch and be like, "Look, f- free agency next year. Let's let's go get it now." They could go in any number of different. Directions. And then, like you said, the the most obvious path path would probably be in the middle of, of those two things. Yeah, kind mm-hmm. of keeping your options open. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Robin Lopez would be a nice name. I, uh, you know, we, we talk about Bolden. Um, and looking at those numbers, I know it's like a foregone conclusion that he's apparently going to go play for the Warriors. And I mean, if he wants to win a ring, I wouldn't really fault him. But uh, but if he wants to play, he would be easily the Sixers' backup center, and that would be uh, that would be a good thing. The uh, and also another really good locker room guy, apparently. So Butler would would almost at this point have no excuse to not somewhat fit in. Yeah, it's it's crazy the, the amount of ways they can go with this, um, and, and it'll be interesting. I uh, if I had to guess, like you, I again, like you, I have no idea what the right answer is. Just guessing, yep. But if I were to guess, I think it'll be something in the middle where they they make moves on the margin, but they don't they don't commit. Uh, they they don't hop off the uh, the Butler experiment or just fully commit to it either. I think I think it'll be something in the middle. And the good thing is they have some pretty good second round draft picks coming up. The I think it's a Knicks pick that highlights Bull, that, but I Bulls think there's pick, a couple more. Right? Bulls Bulls pick, yeah, you're right, not Knicks. Um, or do they have a Knicks pick too? I forget. They so many have swapped hands over the, the last half decade that I lose track. Um, I need Jim Adair here with a flow chart. But they have some assets to trade. They obviously have that Heat 2021 pick, uh, which is unprotected, and I mean that team has a, a, a disastrous cap. Situation, so we'll see where they go. They can, I think, shed most of that before the 2021 or 2020 2021 season, but a lot of different ways that team can go. So it's something you want to keep in your pocket or use as a trade ship. Hey, EB's up. This is a this is not a slam dunk uh, decision. I think a lot will ride on how they play and how they compete against the league's best over the next few weeks, which is maybe not the way to go about it, but I think it's, you know, when you have a team that's gone 70 and 29 over the last, you know, 13 months, you probably don't need much more to look at and say they should they should hit the go button. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll I be think interesting. The, and we didn't even talk about Markel Fultz. Good. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, he's, he's, you know, he's back with the team. He's back. He's back with the team. I don't know what that means, but he's yeah, back with the team. We, we, Brett, Brett was like, yeah, we we just got him back. He hasn't been doing basketball stuff. We have no idea what kind of shape he's in. Um, we'll update accordingly, which we'll see if that happens. Yeah, and, and look, I think, you know, more than more than even what happens on the court, I think the stuff we can't see, the stuff that happens off the court, will uh, could very well inform EB's opinion more than anything else. So, yeah, it'll uh, – big two weeks coming up here incredibly big two weeks. All right, I think that is a good place to jump off. Rich, enjoy Denver and California, and we will talk. Sacramento, baby. Let's go. (laughs) Take care.
that I attract clientele. My mic check is life or death, breathing the sniper's breath. I exhale the yellow 